I'm looking forward to a great, great Sunday uh, with you. I do want to give you a quick update on uh, something that you are a part of that your generosity is allowing to make possible. Um, If you've been following the news over the last number of days, you know that there was a horrific earthquake that uh, hit in the uh, countries of Turkey and Syria right there on the border. Uh, And the death toll continues to climb. There are significant questions about uh, what the results are going to be. Uh, And our hearts were broken as we heard about this news, especially in a country and a place uh, and a region really between these two countries where Syria especially has just gone through so much in the last uh, number of years. There's so much instability in that region and in that area. And so uh, we want to be a part of the solution. And so uh, we've been praying and and really working to identify ways to make a difference, uh, who's on the ground making an impact right away. And you just need to know this uh, because of your continual uh, generosity, uh, our global team and some of our leadership were able to make the decision this week uh, to send $10,000 to uh, global partners that are on the ground right now helping those that are impacted by the earthquake. So can we thank God for that? Thanks for your generosity, and thanks for the ways that you are making uh, a difference. Um, In other news, there's a big game today. I hear you guys ready for this game, yeah? Uh, Real quick, where are my Chiefs fans at? My Chiefs fans, who's going for the Chiefs today? Okay, where are my Eagles fans at? Who's going for the Eagles today? All right, who does not care at all? Let me hear you if you don't care. That's good, that's good. Uh, well, if you're new to Nona, uh, pretty much every single year that the big game happens, uh, there is a moment in our service where you give me the freedom and the license uh, to give you my prediction by erroneously interpreting scripture. Uh, it's a thing that I do uh, every, uh, uh, every big Sunday. And so I just want to kind of give you, as I've scoured the scriptures, I want to let you know what I think is going to happen um, tonight. Uh, I look for the word chief throughout the scripture, and you can find it. The word chief is everywhere uh, in the scripture, uh, but it usually refers to the Something like Paul saying, I'm the chief of all sinners. You know, like that's the kind of idea there. Um, but as I, was, as I was studying the scriptures, uh, you know, spending my time in my formation journal this, ye- this week, you know, um, a verse came to mind for me. It comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. And it says this, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like, what's the word there? Eagles. And then, and then listen, listen, listen. They shall run. Jalen Hurts, and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint, all right? So that's, that's kind of Old Testament, but hold on, I'm not done yet, all right? I'm not done, um, because there's this book that's been heavily debated in uh, the New Testament, the book of Revelation. Uh, it's been, uh, you know, discussed for years and years and years, and you may not know this, uh, but there is actually a letter um, that is written to a church uh, in a city called Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3. And it says this in verse 11, I am coming soon, hold on to what you have so that no one will take your Super Bowl ring, crown, that's what the word is right there. So fly, birds, fly, that's who I got tonight, all right, all right, all right. Hey, we're, uh, we're kicking off a new series today titled The Way We Change, The Way We Change. And it's all about this, all of us are in a season of life where we are hopeful right now for some change. Uh, Some of us want to grow in a particular area of our life, whether or not it's physical, mental, or spiritual. Uh, And for many of us, the reason why we feel this need to grow is because of an exciting event that has happened. It's the new year for many of us. It's an annual checkup. It's a family night. Uh, It's a credit card statement that we got at the end of January that reminded us that we did not meet our budget for Christmas in 2022. And what happens, right, is the initial desire to change Over time, it fizzles out as the days go by. 
And so what we want to do in this series is ask this question, how do we move from a moment of obsession, we've got to get this changed, we've got to get this figured out, to a moment of sustained change over our life, longevity. Um, you know, uh, many of you have worn your jerseys today for, um, uh, the, you know, the big game that's going on and love seeing you in your jerseys. And I thought that today I wouldn't wear my jersey, but I would show you who my favorite team is. Now, um, people ask me all the time, Colin, who's your favorite NFL team? Who's your favorite professional football team? I've got to tell you, I'm a Orlando lifer, okay? I love this city, uh, and it's uh, brought me a lot of disappointment over the decades of my life. Uh, but I love Orlando sports. I'm an Orlando City guy for soccer. Um, I am an Orlando Solar Bears guy for hockey. Like, that's my team. I wear a Solar Bears shirt all the time. Uh, I'm, of course, a diehard, uh, to-my-grave Orlando Magic fan. And I'm believing one day we're going to get there to the top of that mountain. But people ask me, who's your favorite professional football team? And because I'm an Orlando lifer, I don't really have, like, an NFL team that I cheer for. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to be begged and bribed. Like, if you want to work on that, like, let's, let's have that conversation. But I love, I love uh, Orlando sports. And so back in 2019, I got really excited because uh, professional football was coming uh, to the city of Orlando. Were you guys aware of this? That the city of Orlando had a professional football team, and that team was actually named the champion of their league. That's right. You don't know about this, but uh, we were for um, a good bit of time, for four months, here you go, the Orlando Apollos. Did you guys know about this? Some of you guys are like, we had a football team. We did. We did. Uh, this team started in January of 2019. And by April of 2019, this new professional football league, it went bankrupt, all right? <laughs> Four months in. But they had the best record, so they are, the Orlando Apollos are the champions of the professional football league that lasted for four months. There were eight teams. Steve Spurrier was the head coach, which you know made me happy. Um, and yes, I did buy this jersey, but I bought it after the, the team went bankrupt and uh, bought it for 70% off sale. Um, and I literally remember sitting in a Dick's Sporting Goods saying, should I buy this or not? And in my mind, I was like, it'll make a good illustration one day. So three years later, here you go, my favorite football team. Now, I often think that our goals, our desires to change, are a lot like the Orlando Apollos. Here's what I mean by that. In the beginning of January, we have big plans, big goals, and big hopes. We're going to change this about our life. We're going we're to get our health in, uh, under control. We're going to get our money uh, managed. We're going to deal with that anger issue. We're finally going to kick that habit. But as the weeks roll around, gosh, by April, uh, we may as well take that jersey that we put on, throw it in the back of the drawer, and pretend like it never happened. Did you know this, that by the second week of January, 40% of people's New Year's resolutions, they've already quit on within two weeks. Uh, there's some funny memes out there of like what the gym looks like in January, like, and then what the gym looks like in February, right? There, there's the diet that we're going to pick up in January, and then there's the fact that we're sneaking Krispy Kreme donuts in February like I did yesterday, right? Like that's what we do. That's what we do. So I want to ask you this question as we kick off the series today. And much like our pause series in January, this series is going to be one that builds week over week over week. So you've really got to come back to get the full picture. Uh, here's what I know that's true about you, is that you want something to change, <laughs> Or you want someone to change. They might be sitting next to you, right? But I want you to ask this question. How's it going? How's it going? We're in the month of February. And there's a, a goal that you set out to have in mind. Perhaps it's the same goal that you've had for year after year after year after year. 
It's the habit you're going to kick. It's the sin pattern you're going to get over. It's the financial thing you're going to wrangle down. I'm not going to go to Starbucks as often as I do. I'm I'm not going to go seven days a week. I'm just going to go six days a week, right? Maybe that's what it is for you. How's it going? My hope in the month of February is to lay out for us in this series a really helpful, practical, wise, tangible way for us to grab a hold of change, the life change that we long for in our own lives, that God longs for us to have in a way that lasts longer than a professional football team in Orlando, in a way that has longevity for us. But to make this series, I think, particularly poignant and practical and helpful for you, I actually want to give you a moment And I want you to jot this down, maybe in your formation journal, maybe in your notes. What is an area in your life that you want to see change? Go ahead and write that down. What's an area in your life that you want to see change? Maybe it's, I want to get a hold of my anger issue. It's it's affecting my relationships and my friendships. I want to get a hold of my financial situation. I want to be more disciplined in my finances. Or my gosh, every year I try a new diet or a new thing and And I really do need to get healthy. As practical and as simple as that, what's the thing in your life that you're wishing or hoping or believing God you might see changed? Because here's the deal. There's two ways to look at change. Uh, One way is to look at it the way that the culture would invite us to think about change. And the other is to look at it in a way that God's word would invite us to look at change. Culture would have us think that change is possible by simply trying a new diet. Anybody done that before? getting on a new workout plan or going to a new workout gym. I was driving up and down Narcusi Road just a couple of days ago, counting how many different kinds of ways you can work out. And the number is incredible, isn't it? I mean, there's so many different ways for you to get uh, worked out, get strong, get your cardio, get your stretch on. Like you could pay money to get stretched nowadays. Like it's crazy, right? All of the different ways in which we can commit to get our lives changed. Maybe it's taking this financial 10X course that you saw on social media, or the new way in which you can make money quick, or it's attending this mastermind, or using this productivity calendar. And I want you to hear me, while all of these things are helpful tools, they just aren't helpful in the long run, are they? Because the weeks and months go by and we still lash out in anger. We find ourselves picking the bottle back up, or the medication back up. We check out that website again, We find ourselves back in the drive-thru line at 2 o'clock in the morning, Taco Bell. The workout clothes that we bought to start our new workout regimen, now are just the clothes that we wear as we sit on the couch eating our chips, watching the next show on Netflix. And that gym membership we knew was going to change the game, uh, we forgot that we were even paying for it. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I've learned that paying for a gym membership doesn't mean that you're going to get healthy. It just means that you're going to lose more money, right? Like, that's what it means. So the question is, is there a way we change? Is there a different way to think about change than the way that the culture might have us think about it? And then the answer is yes. It's found in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And these verses are verses we're going to look specifically at over the next three weeks. That I really believe if we were to analyze it uh, word by word, phrase by phrase, we'd be able to walk away from this time with a different way and perspective on how to think about change. 
Our anchor text for the next three weeks will be Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. But before we get there, I need to give you a little bit of context to help you understand what it is that Paul, who the author of Romans, uh, is saying and why it's so important. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are preceded by Romans chapter 1 through 11. And um, as a kid, uh, these verses, uh, chapters, uh, chapters 1 through 11, were really, really important for me because these were the verses that actually were the way that I experienced the gospel. Uh, John Calvin has to say this about Romans 1 through 11. He said, if we have gained an understanding of this epistle, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures in Scripture. In other words, if you were to understand the beauty and the nuance and the complexity of Romans chapter 1 through 11, you might be able to understand the rest of the entire Bible because it's that powerful. Uh, see, Paul has this practice when he writes letters to the church in the New Testament. We have all these, church, these letters that he's collected of kind of laying out a similar process. He uses a similar way of thinking and reasoning uh, as he writes his letters. And Romans 1 through 11 is perhaps the most exhaustive vision that Paul gives us for the good news of God, what God has come to do for us. And this is quite literally uh, what I used or what, how I learned uh, what the gospel was as I was a kid. Romans chapter 1 through 11 gives us something called the Romans Road. Quick raise of hands if you heard the Romans Road before. This is how I came to faith. And the Romans Road involves a couple of different verses in Romans chapter 1 through 11. It starts with uh, Romans chapter uh, 3 verse 23, right, which says um, that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the way that I grew up learning this was, you know, I was, this is a little man, you know, a little stick figure right here, you know. This is back when Colin was skinny. This is skinny Colin right here, right? Romans chapter uh, 3. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then what I learned as a kid was Romans chapter 6 verse 23, that for all, that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In other words, there is a gap between me uh, and God. This is God over here. There is a gap between me and God, and there's nothing I can do because of my sinful choices or behaviors. Sin, just simply being missing the mark, not meeting the target, not living up to the standard of perfection. That the inevitability is that there's a gap and a chasm between me and God, and that is called death. That that's the wages of sin. That there's no way that I can overcome death. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which means that the cross of Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ, serves as the bridge that allows me to move from where I am, sinful, calling, broken, wanting to go my own way, to being able to walk across here to be in relationship with God. Now, I know that this is like how I heard about the gospel when I was a kid. Romans 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 13 says that if you confess your mouth with Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's Romans 10, Romans 10, verse 13, which leads us to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, meaning there is nothing that could happen in the world. There's no choice I can make, no decision I can make, no word I could say, no moment I could have in my life that could ever move me from being apart from God to being in relationship with God because I'm a new creation. How many of us are thankful for the gospel this morning? Isn't that incredible? So that is the Romans road. And that's how seven, eight-year-old me first heard about the good news of Jesus. Having a mentor kind of sketch this out on a napkin for me. That death is defeated. That the cross gives us hope. And because of that, I can be in a full relationship with God for all of eternity. 
That's Romans chapter 1 to Romans chapter 11. And the reason why I want to give you some context is because Paul then says something in Romans chapter 12. It's one word that if you don't understand what's happening in 1 through 11, you'll miss the whole point. Because right after chapter 11 finishes, this is Paul's first word. He says, therefore. Would you all say that with me on the count of three? One, two, three. Therefore. In other words, everything that Paul is going to say from Romans chapter 12 until the conclusion of his letter is in response to what's true in Romans chapter 1 through 11. Because of the gospel, because of the good news of what has been purchased for us in Christ, because my salvation is secure, because there's not a thing I could do that could separate me from the love of God, now Paul's going to explain to me how to live this life in light of the life that has been given to me in Christ. Now this is Paul's process in every New Testament epistle. This is how he writes Galatians. This is how he writes Ephesians. You're reading Ephesians right now in your formation journal. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, Paul explains what the gospel is. That's orthodoxy. And then 4, 5, and 6, he explains to us how we should live. That's orthopraxy. Orthodoxy, how we think and believe. Orthopraxy, how we live out our life. Praxy, practice. In the words of Alan Iverson, yeah, we're talking about practice. All right, that's the layout here. Now, This is important because depending on your religious upbringing, you've been taught one of a couple of things. The first one is this, that what matters most as a Christian is that you believe the right things, which is called orthodoxy. But here's what we know. According to Paul's writing in Corinthians, you can write this down in your notes. Information minus application leads to arrogance. You ever met somebody who knows their Bible backward and forward but still has an anger problem that they can't get over? You ever known somebody who reads about and could quote to you the love of Jesus but can't love their neighbor at all? Yeah. It's because they might have a right belief, but they're missing application. Now, the other side of the problem is is just as significant. Because application without information, the good news of the gospel, will lead to legalism and exhaustion. We will try to to figure out how to make life work or make it better by by just doing it on our own. And you might have sat under preaching like that before. Preaching that tells you seven ways to have the best marriage. But you could have heard that message anywhere because Jesus wasn't even mentioned, right? Four ways to get out of debt. But Jesus is never mentioned in that. because, Because Paul wants us to get something. It's not just information and it's not just application. What we're going to see in Romans chapter 12 over the next couple of weeks is that a key element to how we change is this equation. Information plus application leads to transformation. That The way that we change is not just by knowing the right things or by doing the right things, but it's by knowing and understanding how those right things done over time can actually benefit us and bless those around us. So, so if you're growing up in a, maybe a, a home where you were forced to learn about a lot of Bible, but you didn't see anything practiced, and that's kind of made your heart hard, know that that was half of the story. If you grew up in a home where it was all about rules, and you never understood why the rules existed, or why you were supposed to live that way, and it just felt like law after law after law after law with very little explanation, know that you heard half the story. But that throughout the story of Scripture, especially in the way that Paul writes, and the way that Jesus teaches, The invitation has always been 
information and application, orthodoxy and orthopraxy, lead to what we all long for, which is transformation. So Paul, Paul gives us 1 through 11, that's information, and then he picks it up in chapter 12, and this really serves as the hinge of the door. Like if we get chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 right, if we understand this deep within our souls, this is how our lives actually get better. This is how our lives are transformed. And this is what he says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in light of what you just heard in chapters 1 through 11, now we're going to move to practice, orthopraxy, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This actually is your true and proper worship. So, so time out here. Based upon what Paul is saying, we're not going to talk about it today, but just give me a head nod if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Does it seem like Paul and God, the gospel, is interested not just in what we think but what we do if he's talking about our bodies? The answer is yes, right? So what I, what I eat probably matters to God, right? What I watch probably matters to God. What I, what I drink probably matters to God. How I spend my money probably matters to God, right? We're not going to talk about that today, but Paul's not giving us crazy rules just to give us rules. It's because he wants us to understand there's a great life that's designed for us, and God wants it to affect every aspect of our lives. So if you've disconnected, perhaps, that there's, you know, this spiritual side of you and the physical side of you, that's not the way that God sees it. He sees all of us as spiritual. It all connects. He goes on to say, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And then he gives us this verse in verse 2. So we're going to lean into a little bit today. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Anybody like, I would like to know what God's will is for my life? Yeah? Well, Paul's giving us the means to how we figure that out in verse 2. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I love how the New Life Translation puts this sentence. It says this, don't copy... The behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So here's what I want you to put down in your notes. Again, we're just kind of teeing up where we're going to go for the next couple of weeks, but important stuff for us today. First one is this. For followers of Jesus, lasting change is not about outside activity. It's an inside job. Lasting change is not an outside activity, it's an inside job. See, we live in a culture that wants you to believe that if you just get the right outfit, buy the right workout machine, get on the right plan, that you're going to experience change. But we know this to be true, that overwhelmingly it hasn't worked for us, has it? That, that's how the culture thinks about change, where where Christ invites us to think about change in a different way. It's not about external activity first. It's, it's actually about an inside job. Uh, the way that I would put it to you is this way, that, that change starts with a mentality. It's about mindset. It's the way we think. Again, let God transform your thinking, verse 2. So, so let me give you a quick framework. Thoughts lead to actions. Actions or choices lead to habits. Habits lead to your lifestyle, and your lifestyle will lead to your legacy. See, the way we think has a profound impact on the way that we live. Many of us are worried about the lifestyle issue over here, but we're not going to get to the lifestyle issue until we reverse engineer it back to the way that we're thinking between here. 
It all starts right here. This is what Paul is laying out for us in Romans chapter 12. This is so much of what he's getting at. And he's contrasting these two words. Don't be conformed by the culture, but be transformed by the world. And I think it's interesting that he uses the word conformed here and transformed. He doesn't say don't be transformed by the culture, which means that, that, that there's something there to note, to note, right? It's not don't be transformed by the culture and then be transformed by God. It's don't be conformed. What's the difference between conformity and transformation? So I was thinking about this. Conformity... Conformity is when something unique becomes the same. Um, how many of you have driven through neighborhoods here in the Lake Nona area and just wish that you could see some custom houses because you're tired of seeing the same house over and over again, right? Right? We live in conformity like neighborhoods, right? It's like seven different options. What floor plan would you like? Oh, that's great that you want that floor plan um, that you saw, you know, on that website or on HGTV. We don't make that floor plan. What we do instead is give you a floor plan and you can decide if you like it or not, right? Like that's conformity. Conformity is, conformity is getting a suit off the rack. You just kind of walk into a banana republic and you, you just pick up a suit that everybody else might be wearing. Transformation is different. Transformation is when something old becomes new. It's a renovation of a old home by a designer that draws out the best of the facility. It's couture. It's designed for you. I've got a good friend of mine. Uh, I've never seen this person wear something off the rack. Every single piece of clothing is designed and fitted just for them. And it is an amazing thing to see how connected and how unique that person communicates themselves. This is what Paul's getting at. There's a way that the culture wants to conform you. There's a way that the culture wants to put you in a mold. They want you to think about how to change based upon what their vision of change is. And that vision of change is not about your unique personality, about the way that you've been designed or made. It's about pushing you into a mold, promising you a set of deliverables, and then when those don't happen, selling you more stuff so you can figure it out. So if I just get on this diet plan that I've got to pay $19.99 a month for, right? If I, if I could just get to this gym that I'm paying $19.99 a month for, right? If I, could, if I could just get to that conference that I just paid $299 plus $900 in airfare for, right? If I could, if I could just get that outfit, that's going to motivate me. If I could just get this, this bottle, if I could just, if I could, if I could... And we're thousands of dollars out with nothing actually changed. That's the conformity of culture. And Paul's saying, listen, I don't want you to live that way. God's saying, there's another way that you can change that leads to longevity in your life. And it's not going to be by being conformed to the world. It's going to be by transforming the way you think. And so to set the stage today, here's kind of my... Big argument, I'm going to give you three ideas here quickly, and then we're going to wrap up. Here's what I want to challenge you to do today. I believe that many of us need to change our thinking about the way we think about change. Many of us need to change our thinking about the way we think about change. Because we don't even know this. But we've been conformed to the pattern of the world instead of being transformed by Scripture when it comes to change. We aren't seeing change in our lives because the way we think about it 
is actually the thing that's preventing us from experiencing it. Because again, thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to habits, habits lead to lifestyles, and lifestyles lead to legacies. So if I have the wrong thought about change, then I'm going to have the wrong action for change, which is going to lead to the wrong habits in my life when it comes to change, which means I'm going to have a legacy I do not want and a lifestyle that I don't want either. Are you picking up what I'm putting down right now? If the answer is yes, would you say yes? Okay. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a quick framework about mentalities we have around change. And then I'm going to leave you with a question to consider. And then you've got to come back next week. Because next week is when we take a deep dive into what it really looks like to change. Now, this idea about a framework for how we think about change, it isn't original, doesn't come from me. The, the language that we're going to use today for the points are me, uh, but the idea comes from uh, a man by the name of Jerry Bridges. And, and Craig Groeschel has also been really, really helpful here. So I just want to give credit where credit is due. But I think there's three ways we, think we need to think about change. The first one, and this is kind of our first mistake, is this is that change is a me thing. Write this down. Three ways to think about change. Change is a me thing. Um, this kind of mentality, we tend to think that salvation is up to God, which it is, but change is up to me. And we use words like, I've, I've got to just figure this out on my own. I need to lose weight. We need to figure out our finances. I need to get a counselor. I've got to figure out this anger problem. And we say things when we look at our life, don't worry, I'll, I'll just figure it out. And part of the reason why we kind of live in this place of thinking change is a me thing is because, well, if we're honest, we don't really think that God cares about the things that we're caring about. Like, does God really care about my triglycerides? Like, does he care about that? Does God really care about my bank account? Does God really care about my habits? For people that fall into the me category, oftentimes their favorite Bible verse is this one. God helps those who help themselves which is found in second hesitations. In other words, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. But it's a lie that we believe. We can believe the lie that the responsibility to change is exclusively on the individual. And our culture loves this attitude for a couple of reasons. One, it allows us to take way too much pride in our own accomplishments because we love our before and after photos. But it also means that we take way too much shame when we don't. And so when we fail or fall short or fall apart, we take this and we shove it in the drawer, don't we? And we never go back to having an honest conversation about our health, having an honest conversation about our finances, having an honest conversation about our anger problem because we tried and we failed because we had to do it on our own. Here's the second mistake. It's not just that change is a me thing, but that change is a he thing. In other words, salvation, of course, is up to God, but so is my, my situation. The best phrase for this person, if it's the me, if the person that's saying it's a me thing is I'll figure it out, people who say it's a he thing say, oh, God will handle it. I don't have to look for a job. God will handle it. I don't have to ask her on a date. God will handle it. No, my guy, if you aren't willing to ask her on a date, he's probably going to say you shouldn't have a date. Like he's not going to bring somebody to you, right? Okay. I don't have to kick the addiction. If God wants me to overcome the addiction, then he'll, he'll figure it out. God will find a way to help me kick that habit. And we place the responsibility to change our lives solely on God. And lazy Christians love this attitude. Their favorite scripture is actually scripture. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Well, brother, 
He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, right? Which, um, which is ironic because that's not what the text means at all. Paul's talking to a church, and he's reminding the church that the good work that God's doing in the church will continue on. It has nothing to do with our individual lives. And here's how we know that, because in the same letter, the same letter that Paul writes, he says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into, what's our word? Practice, and the God of peace will be with you. But that's Paul. What about Jesus? Jesus, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not, what's the word? Do what I say. And then at the end of the most powerful sermon that Jesus ever gives, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7, as he's giving this powerful message, I mean, the, the essence of Christian faith, how we're supposed to live our lives, what God has done for us, at the end of the magnum opus, this great teaching that he gives, he ends with a story. And the story is about two men. One who builds their house on sand and one who builds their house on a rock. And look at what Jesus says. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, meaning everything I just told you to do in Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, what's our word? Practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on its rock. The foundation is putting Jesus' words into practice. Information plus application leads to transformation. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, some of us have the wrong mentality about change. We think it's a me thing. i got to get it figured out. I've got to accomplish this. I've got to work it out because God saved me, but he doesn't really care. He's not interested in this. He's got more important things to do than to worry about whether or not I'm scoring on my Weight Watchers thing. He, he's got more to do, right? Or it can be a he thing. Well, God saved me. Salvation is his work. And because of that, I have nothing to do with this. Who I am is who I am. If I change, it's because God's going to change me. I have nothing to do with it. And those both sound kind of good, but they're both wrong because they're not the story of Scripture. Here's the truth. Write this down. Two mistakes. Change is a me thing. Change is a he thing. Here's the truth. Change is a we thing. Salvation is up to God. And... And change happens in partnership with him. John chapter 14, verse 26, Jesus speaking to his disciples, letting them know about the future, what it's going to be like when he ascends to heaven, says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them, which we're about to do here in just a few moments, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's information. That's knowledge of the gospel. But he doesn't stop there, does he? Verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's what I want you to hear today. You were meant to participate in your own spiritual growth. You were meant to participate 
in this process of change. You were not meant to do it on your own. And you were also not meant to punt responsibility onto God and act as if you have nothing to do with it. When you see change, not as a me thing, not as a he thing, but a we thing, everything becomes spiritual. Everything does. My money, my family, my emotions, my physical health. When it's a we thing, it's not I'm, it's no longer I'm losing weight. It's I'm not just losing weight. My body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, and I am valuable. And I want to be around as long as I can to glorify God. So how I take care of my body, what my exercise regimen looks like, what I eat, it all matters. What I drink, it all matters because the Holy Spirit resides here. God's got a plan and a purpose for my life. When it's a we thing, it's not I'm just getting my finances in order so that the debt collector didn't call. It's I'm getting my finances in order because God has a plan for my life to be generous and wants to change the world through me. When it's a wee thing, it's not I'm just getting my anger in, under control so she doesn't leave me, so I don't embarrass myself at the next Little League soccer game. I'm getting my anger under control because we're working together as a family so I can show my kids what the love of a father really looks like because I am the closest picture to a heavenly father they'll ever have. It's not a me thing. It's not a he thing. It's a we thing. So you might be asking the question, well, Colin, how can I change the way that I think about change? How can I actually do this, right? That's exactly what we're going to talk about next week. But between now and then, let me remind you that our thoughts lead to our actions. Actions or choices lead to habits. Habits lead to our lifestyle, and our lifestyle leads to our legacies. So how do I change my thoughts? How do I change my thoughts? Come back next week. I think next week's going to be a powerful message that's going to be practical and helpful for all of us. But between now and then, here's the question that I would leave you with. Do you see change as a me thing, as a he thing, or a we thing? And what I might imagine is it depends on the area of your life. There are some places where you feel like you're in collaboration with God. There are other places where you've kind of punted all the responsibility to him. And there are places where you've tried to do it on your own. And the reason why you keep failing isn't because you don't desire well. Isn't because your intentions aren't good. It's because your mentality needs to change. So that might invite you to close your eyes just for a moment. You're going to remain seated as we move into a moment of worship and baptism. But as you're seated right now, why don't you just do this at, at your chair. If you'd say, hey, I've been thinking and I've been seeing change, or there's an area in my life where I've been seeing change as a me thing. Colin, if I'm honest, I've been trying to do it on my own. And right now is a moment just to admit to God, God, I want to see it as a we thing. Would you just open your hand where you are at your chair? And would you say, yeah, I, I want to see it as a we thing, God. And this one might be a little bit tougher. Because in some ways it's admitting a, 
a perspective that, that really doesn't hold weight or water. Some of us, we've been thinking about change as a, as a he thing. God, I failed so many times. If it's going to change, you're going to have to work a miracle. And I've kind of quit trying. If you've been seeing change as a he thing instead of a we thing, would you go ahead and open your hand now just so I can pray for you? And here's the last one. If your heart is burdened right now because there's a person that you're hoping God will change, their, their name is on your mind right now, I'm going to invite you to open your hand for them. And then let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you that um, what we're about to celebrate here in just a few moments is a great sign of transformation, that you love to take that which is old and make it new. That, God, you're, you're undefeated when it comes to transformation. Undefeated when it comes to taking people's lives that need you and in the midst of our surrender, doing something beautiful with us that we could not do on our own. And so, Father, we ask that as we enter into this series talking about the way we change, that those of us that have been thinking about it as a me thing, God, you would help us see it as a we thing. Those of us who've been thinking about it as a he thing, God, we would start thinking about it as a we thing. Those of us that know of a person that needs to hear these messages, God, would you give us the capacity, the grace to share with them, to engage with them. And Father, allow us to be people that think about change the way you think about change and celebrate change the way that you celebrate change and to know that you're not done yet. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody says amen and amen.